Well, good to see you here today. Thank you, worship team. We're continuing our, our series this morning called uh, Let Go. Before we get there, I want to remind you, tonight is the first soak of 2019. Uh, now, once a month, we have what we call a soak service where we come to uh, have a time of, of deep worship and prayer. And so, man, if you want to start the year out right, I would really recommend and encourage you to be here tonight. We're going to be sharing communion, and so it's just going to be a, a great start to the year. And we finished now uh, two weeks of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and next Sunday will be the final day. I hope that your journey's been good, man. It's been rich, and I, I hope that I hope my, mine has, and I hope it's been rich for you. Uh, next Sunday night, we'll have what we call a Freedom Night where we'll come and pray. We've been saying, uh, Lord, we want to start this year more free than we've ever been. And I think what God's been, been working on in us is, uh, is, is moving us to greater places of freedom. And we've been talking about that in, in this series, how you get there is uh, the things that you let go of. So I, I was thinking this week, maybe because it was cold, uh, how fun it is in the summer you know, to go swimming and when it's hot and all that kind of stuff. How, how many of you have ever uh, swung on a rope swing? Come on, is there anything, is there anything better, really? That, you know, you can make all kind of stuff, toy companies that sell, but there's nothing like tying a rope onto a tree and swinging off of it into a river, right? There is a moment of sheer acceleration, exhilaration, when you come off the bank and you fly over the water, and you feel the wind in your hair, and then there comes that moment, you know, where you, where you got to let go. I, I remember when I was a teenager, me and some buddies used to go uh, canoeing at a river in Arkansas called Spring River. It's 54 year-round. It's super cold. And there's a nine-mile stretch that you'd canoe back to the uh, campsite. And, and just about a mile from the campsite, there's this giant rope swing. You know, we'd always look for it and wait in one of the widest parts of the river, and it's kind of deep there. And uh, you'd, you'd climb up the bank, and it was one of these really long, you know, it would, it would take you off the bank all the way down to the water, and if you didn't curl your legs up, you know, you were going you to skim the water. I mean, you were just, like your shadow would fall in the water. And then like a, like a clock pendulum, you'd come up the other side, and when you, when you begin to feel... The momentum of the rope slowing down. How many of you know what you got to do? You got you, you to let go because you're about to start heading back toward the bank. So when you feel that thing, you get right up to the top. I mean, when you would let go, it's like one of those Mountain Dew commercials, you know. You would just drop. I mean, you would drop, you know, I, I don't know, eight or ten feet. It was way up in there. And you would just drop down to the surface of the water and then, you know, swim back. About three swims back is all we could do because it was so far. Well, one of my buddies was on the rope swing, and, and you can't always see every direction from up on the bank. Uh, there were some bushes there, and there's this canoe full of people coming down. And we said, no, 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 don't go now. What? You know, don't go now. Let go? No, no, don't go now. And here he comes, whistling across there. And we went, oh, no. And he cut across in front of that canoe and missed it as he went out to the water and, but the canoe's going downriver and keeps moving. And we say, let go! You know what's going to happen? 
He's going to come back. Look, and I don't know what happened to him. Something about that canoe being in the water so freaked him out that rather than getting out to the middle and just letting the rope go, he, he panics and locks down on it. And so here he comes back toward the canoe. And the people's eyes are getting bigger. And our eyes are getting bigger. We're going to let go. Let go of the rope. And I'm telling you, he, he broadsided that canoe and clipped it between his knee and his hip. And it was like a car wreck. Like a football team hit the side of it. And he just he, he slammed straight into it, almost knocked it over, came out the other side and went head first down in the water. And I'm thinking, you know, here our buddy is in the river with broken legs, you know, or something. Now, as it turns out, uh, his ego was hurt, and he had a big bruise, but other than that, he was okay. Now, now here, here's what's funny about this whole thing. Um, had he just let go while he was swinging, he would have had a lot more fun than if he would have held on. Man, that is really what this whole sermon series is all about. God has a wonderful life of freedom and joy and life, abundant life for you. But it's out in the middle. And you're not going to get there by holding on to everything that life has done to you and dragging it with you. There are some things you got to let go of and when you let go of them and let them go to God, you are going to be right out in the middle of the river and you're going to experience the full life God has for you. That's what we've been talking about. Sometimes it's not the thing that's missing that's holding you back. It's the thing that you won't let go of. So uh, the last two weeks, if you've missed one of the uh, services, I'd encourage you to catch up on our podcast. We've talked about letting go of idols. Last week we talked about letting go of lies. Because it's the thing, it, the only things in life that can hurt you are the things that you won't let go of. Once you let go of them, they can't hurt you anymore. So today we're going to talk about letting go of unanswered questions. I, I remember when uh, Stacy and I first uh, were wrapping up our, our college time and um, we were looking for a place in ministry to go. And we landed at a church in, uh, in Auburn, Alabama, so you know it wasn't God's will for us to be there. But I'm sorry, but it's all over now. Everybody that needed to lose has lost, okay? So you, you go ahead and revel in that. So we landed in Auburn, Alabama, and uh, man, it was, um, you know, for me, it was more important for me as a person who came from a, a mostly non-Christian environment that I, I don't repeat what's been done in my family, that whatever the best way to live the life of God is, that's what I want to do. And so I wanted to make sure that every step we took, we were in God's will. It was uh, very important, nothing more important to me than that. And it was an uh, um, a, a excruciating process to try to figure out, God, is this where you want us to go or not? And we went there, and we did not fit. We stayed at that church for nine months. We did not fit. We did not belong. There was a lot of differences and all of that. And so um, I remember as we got to the end of that, it was so hard for me to, to let go. It was so hard for me to make that transition. And actually, Pastor Mark um, uh, was kind to me and, and talked for a few hours with me and helped me uh, through that transition. And, and we ended up leaving. 
And so then I had to deal with the thing, you know, what have I done? I mean, we had been married for a year and a half, and I'm a new husband and a, a new pastor and trying to figure out how to follow God's will, how to hear his voice, how to know what he wants us to do. And, and, now, and now it's not just me, I'm responsible for my wife too. And so I'm saying, you know, did I, what have I done? Did I mislead us? Did we go the wrong way? Did I, and that haunted me for several years because I never could figure out, was I not supposed to go there? Or, or is that what you actually wanted me to do? And you know what? I drugged that question around for probably three or four years and if I'm totally honest with you, today, I still don't know the answer. I don't really know. I can't say for sure. Were we supposed to ever be there or not? Now, in the larger scope of life, living somewhere for nine months um, isn't that big of a deal. But the truth is, you and I have uh, unanswered questions. We all have unanswered questions, and oftentimes they're much bigger, although that one was the biggest one of my life at the time. They're often, you know, bigger than that. So that's what I want to talk to you about today, and I, I'm, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to get to some deep areas, and I, I want to go ahead and say to you, uh, we're going to touch on some sensitive things. So I, I want to do that tenderly, and I, and I want to warn you a little bit, uh, I remember a couple in our church in Mississippi, um, they were an elderly couple by this point. But when they were younger, uh, they had a teenage son who they had sent off to a lock-in. He was a real active part of their youth group. And he went uh, to their church to be part of the lock-in. And while they were you know, just goofing off, a freak accident happened. Uh, the basketball backboard somehow separated from the the, the wall or the roof of the gym, wherever it was, and it fell on that kid and killed him. And, and that couple uh, had, you know, can you imagine the questions you would ask? Like you've got kids running the street, selling drugs, doing God knows what, and here this kid is at church, following God with all his heart, doing his best. I mean, if we're honest, the question why has to cross your mind. Why, why would God allow something like this to happen? I, I stood in the labor and delivery department of a hospital um, one, late one evening because a couple in our church had called and said, you know, we're, our, we're having a baby and it's one of our board members and his, his wife. And so I went down to be there and by the time I got there, something had gone wrong and she had lost several pints of blood. And the baby was uh, born, uh, stillborn. Uh, the baby was fully formed, but wasn't alive and didn't survive. And she um, was, was uh, paralyzed from the waist down for a while and eventually regained some mobility, but never, never regained full mobility. And, and they had another child. This was going to be their second child. So you've got this young couple, this young family. You know, and, and these... And you've got this family that's just doing everything they know to do, you know, to follow God. And these, these, these raise so many questions in your mind. You know, what, what do you do? Uh, our children have asked me, you know, from time to time, why do we have so many diseases in our family? I mean, all you and mom have done since you were teenagers is follow God. 
and, and your parents followed God. And if you go back two and three and four generations, some of those people have followed God. And, and why, why are there so many diseases? Wouldn't, wouldn't you think that God could give us a break? You know, if, is that what following God does? And so, you know, I ask myself sometimes, why, why does my family suffer with so many diseases? Why, why do we suffer like we do? And, and the truth is, these questions just haunt us. Uh, people have asked me dozens and dozens of times, why didn't God protect me when I was a child from you know, my, what my mom or my dad did or uncle or aunt or somebody that they trusted that shouldn't have hurt them has hurt them? Why, why did this happen? And, and these questions seem to linger in life. And look, these are life-altering events. They leave us with questions, and many times the questions go unanswered. I remember uh, years ago, I was walking into the church office, and I looked. Uh, I could, we had an all-glass door, and I could look and see inside before I got there. And I could see some of our staff huddled around uh, the computer and I could tell by their, you know when you see somebody's body language, you say, something's not right. And I, then I got closer and I could see their facial expression. I thought, boy, it looks like they've seen a ghost. Something's wrong. And I walked in and I said, hey, what's, what's going on? And they said, you got to see this. And I said, what? They said, somebody has flown an airplane into the World Trade Center. I said, what? Are you serious? And it, I, How many of you remember where you were? What, you see, you don't forget that, do you? And, and, and as that whole thing unfolded, and we stood there in shock and horror and said, what, who would do something like this? And why? I, I, four or five days, maybe, maybe three or four days, after 9-11 in Washington, D.C., Billy Graham spoke at the memorial service. And during that message, I'll never forget what he said. I want to read it to you, and I want to put it on the screen so you can see it. He said, I've been asked hundreds of times in my life why God allows tragedy and suffering. I have to confess, I really do not know the answer totally, even to my own satisfaction. In life, there just seems to be some questions we're not going to know the answer to. If that's true... The question I have for you today is, what do you do with those questions? Because they will wreck you. They will hurt you. What do you do? So, if you have something to write with, let me give you a few thoughts this morning. Number one, I first want you to know, it's okay to ask hard questions. It's okay. Sometimes our hardest questions feel like they set us at odds with our faith. In other words, we feel like we can either have faith or we can have the question, but we can't have both. And so what we tend to do is we sweep the question under the carpet or we deny it's even there. We try to bury it, stuff it down somewhere deep so that we won't hurt our faith because we don't want to hurt our faith. Uh, this is the kind of church I grew up in as a kid, and maybe some of you grew up in this kind of church too, that if you had too many questions, you didn't have faith, right? Oh, come on, just believe God. You don't want it all to go away. 
I think what happens is fear keeps us from asking these questions because we sometimes get the idea that if we ask too many questions, it will expose God's limits. We'll begin to see cracks or faults or gaps in his character. And and if God falls, we're done. So we want to protect him. So rather than going right at him with the hard questions, we say, no, no, we don't talk about things like that around here. And we sort of shove it under the carpet. I've got good news for you today, though. There's no question that you and I will ever ask or ever hear anyone ask that will cause God's character to crumble. It is certain, and it is sure, and it will not fail Because he put every star in place and he spoke the rivers in existence and he's counted every hair on your head and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I say, go ahead and ask the hard question. You're not going to hurt God. You're not going to scare God. You're not going to break God. Sometimes... Sometimes what happens is, is we ask the hard question and we don't have the answer. We back up. We think, oh, God failed. Keep asking questions. Maybe you stopped asking too early. So I'd encourage you to ask more. We're free to ask God questions because we can rest on the fact that God's God. and He's never going to change. Okay. But what I'm talking about this morning is after that. <laughs> what happens... After you ask the question, what do you do once you've done all you know to do and and the people who love you around you have given you the best answer they've got, but it's not really satisfactory. You've searched the Bible, you can't find the answer there. You've prayed and the answer just isn't any clearer. What do you do after that? Well, here's the second thing I want you to know. God sometimes uses unanswered questions for our good. Now, let me unpack this for a minute. If you hurt enough and you're sincere enough, you and I unconsciously believe that wouldn't the answer to the toughest questions bring me some relief and at least make sense out of what happened? In other words, if you just knew why, wouldn't it help you bring closure? Not necessarily. It sometimes seems cruel that God won't answer some of our questions. Why aren't all of our questions answered? Let me give you one possible answer. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So so what does that mean? There is a limit to how much knowledge you and I can handle before we begin to turn away from God. Now, I'm not advocating ignorance. I'm not suggesting we live like cave people. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying you can outgrow your character, you can outgrow your integrity, you can outgrow your spirit, and you can outgrow your soul with too much knowledge. You'll get top-heavy and tip over. You'll know more than you know what to do with. And that'll hurt you. It'll hurt your spirit, and it'll hurt your soul. And I've never heard anybody say that. I wish somebody else would say that other than me. I'd feel better about saying it. But until I can find somebody more qualified, I'm going to say it. You can hurt yourself. Why? The more knowledge you have, 
the more tempted you are to believe that you are in control and you are self-sufficient and you don't need God. Now follow me. There's, there's, there, it's not a coincidence that God set Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, you can eat the apples and the pears and the peaches and the plums. You can eat from all the trees but one. And what was that tree called? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because there was some things in God's grace and mercy He did not want us to know. But we ate it anyway. And you know why? Because the devil came along and said, God doesn't want you to know what he knows because he's insecure. And turns out that wasn't true after all. And so we've built knowledge on top of knowledge on top of knowledge. And boy, I'm not sure things have gotten better. So imagine for a minute, let's just challenge this. If you knew all the answers to all the questions, wouldn't you be even a little tempted to believe that you didn't need God? Come on, be honest. After all, if I have all the answers to all the questions, why do I need God? Here's why. For relationship. God is not God and God is not reaching out to you so that he might just download the mysteries of the universe into your brain so that you can be self-sufficient and independent. God is relating to you because he's a God of love and he wants a relationship with you. And if you had all the answers to all the questions, you would wrongly believe that you didn't need God. Ask Solomon. The wisest man who ever lived who said, I've tried everything and life is foolish. He went to the end of it. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you because that's what's best for you. Now once you understand that God may even use the unanswered questions for your good, now I'm going to ask you again, what do you do with the unanswered question? If you have any unanswered questions, and I think everybody does sometimes, there's a man who knows how you feel. His name is Habakkuk. He had a lot of unanswered questions. In fact, he died with some of his questions unanswered, but he followed God all of his life. Now let me just give you a, a, a little backdrop so you'll understand where he's coming from. Habakkuk lived at a time when his nation was in spiritual renewal and people were passionately following God. The nation was expanding, but then their passion for God died and the nation turned violent and corrupt. And he watched the nation rise and now, now it's falling, it's dying. It's turned evil and corrupt and the leadership is corrupt. And the king that was leading the nation was now evil and he was trying to undo every righteous thing the king before him had done. And Habakkuk was discouraged and disillusioned about all this. How could this happen? How could we have been doing so good and now we're doing so bad? And so he takes that question to God. Look at Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 3. He says, why do you make me look at injustice? In other words, I didn't cause this. I didn't have anything to do with it. I followed you. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? 
Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict about. Habakkuk prays this desperate prayer, and he asks these why. Don't you find it's usually why questions? Why was I born this way? Why do I deal with this? Why did my parents do that? Why have I been wounded the way that I have? Why? Why did that tragedy happen? Why did that good person suffer that way? And God replied, listen to this, but he didn't answer. (laughs) You know the difference in a reply and an answer? He replied, he just didn't answer his question. And God's answer or reply actually increased Habakkuk's disillusionment. Now, look at verse 12. Habakkuk begins to work some of this out, try to work some of it out. And listen to what he says about God. Verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. In other words, this foreign nation that God has sent in to punish God's people because of their evil and they turn their back on God. Habakkuk is saying, I recognize that you're sovereign and you're from everlasting and you're eternal and you've chosen all this to happen. And that's right. Now, here's what I want you to realize Habakkuk's theology is absolutely correct. Now, hold on to that thought. Look at verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Here he is. He he believes the right thing. His theology is accurate. But listen to the question. Why then? (laughs) He's back to the why. Why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Why do you let wicked people hurt righteous people? Why do you do that? Here's what I want you to see. Habakkuk had correct theology, but his theology did not bring him any comfort in the middle of unanswered questions. You can believe the right thing, and you should believe the right thing. It's better than believing a lie. It's important to believe the right thing. It's important that your theology is right. But here's what I want you to know. You can have the right theology and still find no comfort in the middle of unanswered questions. Boy, that's a good word for all of us when somebody's suffering. We want to speak the right word, you know. And we tell them, and they look with hollow eyes. And they say, I know that's true. It just doesn't help. It doesn't change anything. I'm still hurting. The only thing that will bring you comfort in the middle of an unanswered question is to surrender to God in His presence. At that moment, correct theology might protect you from going the wrong way, but it's not going to comfort you. What will comfort you is the presence of God. The book of Habakkuk ends without an answer. We have replies. We don't have explanations. So, So... Listen to the last three verses of the book. Habakkuk resolves his suffering in prayer. Habakkuk 3.17 Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. In other words, this foreign nation has come in and ravished our, our crops and our fields. Like you look out there, it's barren, it's been destroyed. 
and no cattle, uh, th- though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, these evil people have come and stolen all our food. What does he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now remember, Habakkuk died. And this is how the book closes. That's the last verse. Like we don't have a postscript that, oh, and by the way, voila. Habakkuk died with some of his questions unanswered. And he had to journey through life not ever having an adequate explanation to his questions. Did you know that Habakkuk has been called the prophet of faith and the optimist? Did you know that? That's what scholars call him. He is the most eloquent writer in the Old Testament on the subject of faith. Isn't that ironic? After what he's been through, his name means embrace or wrestle. There's some things you and I are going to have to wrestle with. And some things we're going to have to embrace if we're going to live this abundant life of faith. Probably unanswered questions is one of those. We don't have to have the answers. Here's what Habakkuk teaches us. We don't have to have the answers to live a full life of faith. Thank God. So I'm going to ask you one more time. What do we do with the unanswered questions? Here's the answer. Number three. We must accept that there are some questions that will never be answered until we're in God's presence in eternity. Let me say it a different way. You have to let those questions go. You have to say, God, underneath your goodness and mercy, I trust that you're going to do the right thing and you're going to work this out. And I trust that knowing you is enough. Therefore, I do not ha- it's not necessary for me to have an explanation in order for me to live a life, a vibrant life of faith and peace and joy. So I let the question go. Unanswered questions will make you cynical and dry and bitter and angry and withdrawn and unengaged and depressed. If you let unanswered questions, they will drive you crazy. If you let those questions hold you back, they will. If you let those questions keep you away from God, they will. If you let those questions prevent you from trusting God, they will. And and they will prevent you from trusting other people. But you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Either you're going to have the question or you're going to have peace and joy in Jesus. And sometimes you cannot have both. That's how I ultimately resolve that smaller question than some of these bigger ones about, you know, God, should we have ever gone there or not? I don't know, but you know what? I know that I don't have to know. I'm okay that I don't know. Now, that's an easier one to answer. But I'm okay that I don't know because I've let that question go underneath the wisdom of God. You have to make a decision. Now, I'm not saying avoid or deny or none of that. That's dangerous. 
I'm saying ask the question, ask it again, ask your friends, ask people you trust, look in the Bible, pray. But after you've done all that, if you're still dragging that question around, there has to come a day where you say, under God's grace, I am not going to let this question hold me back. Without the answer, I can move forward because I have the answer. Let me tell you what Billy Graham said also in that speech at the Washington Memorial. He said, I have to accept by faith that God is sovereign and he's a God of love and mercy and compassion in the midst of suffering. Did you know, maybe it will help you to know, did you know that Jesus had at least one unanswered question that he asked? You know, Jesus was fully human. If he didn't have unanswered questions, he doesn't know what we go through. But he did. He had at least one unanswered question. And do you know when it came? It came when he was suffering on the cross. Isn't that when they always come when you're at your worst? Matthew 27, 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. My God, my God, here it is. Why? Not what? Not how, it's always why. Why have you forsaken me? In his humanity, he experienced full abandonment from the Father. Why Why did you... Why have you brought me to earth and drugged me through all of this? And I've suffered all of this and now I'm nailed to the cross and I'm dying. Why did you do this to me? Why have you left me in the middle? He knows how you feel. Why at the worst moment of my life do I look around and I can't find you? Why? If you read the rest of the chapter, he never gets an answer. What does it mean that Jesus has an unanswered question? It means that he was like you and he knows what you're going through. So how did Jesus resolve the question? That'd be pretty good to know. Verse 20, uh, Luke chapter 23, 46 tells us, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Jesus committed his spirit to the Father regardless of what was happening to him. He would not let the pain of the moment shake his dependence on the Father, even though it was not explainable. With an unanswered question, Jesus breathes his last breath and says, I will not turn my back on the Father. Maybe you say, but I mean, did he really have a choice? He was nailed to the cross. Where was he going? Well, the Bible says he could have called thousands of angels to come and get him. So, yes, did he have a He had the biggest choice in history. Yes, he had a choice. Of course he had a choice. But Jesus preferred to die with an unanswered question than to separate from his father and seek answers on his own. He wouldn't do it. So you may be thinking, yes, but Jesus died. <laughs> that didn't turn out very well, didn't it? Three days later, the Bible says the stone rolled away. 
And they came and looked in a black, empty hole and said, he's gone. Where did he go? He was resurrected. So, so what does Jesus' resurrection teach us about unanswered questions? Here's what it teaches us. The ultimate answer to all of life's questions is resurrection. They will be settled at the resurrection. Dead things come to life at the resurrection. And then it'll make sense. And then it'll all make sense. And boy, how happy will you be then that you let go of all that junk and you didn't live a life dragging around all those unanswered questions because when the curtains are pulled back and you see what was going on in eternity, you go, oh man, oh man. Am I glad that I let that junk go while I was on earth? Letting go of unanswered questions is like letting go of that rope swing. It's scary. You, you, you might have to hold your breath. You might have held on to that thing so long you can barely pry your hand off of it. But can I just tell you, when you separate yourself from that thing and surrender that question to God, well, there'll be a moment of exhilaration and joy and peace that'll come into your life. You'll be out in the middle of the river, swimming, <laughs> smiling, saying, hey, my turn. Can I go again? It's counterintuitive, and it may go against everything you've done till now. But my invitation to you this morning is take a chance. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not dragging that question around anymore. It only slowed me down, and it only held me back, and it only prevented me from experiencing the full life God wanted me to have. I don't know the answer. Go ahead and ask. I'll probably tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what you went through. I hate how you've hurt. I know God hates it. He's not for it. God doesn't, God doesn't orchestrate. God doesn't cause. He's not behind the curtain somewhere. Hoping that those things happen to us. He grieves over them. But the truth is, I don't know the answer why. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm pretty sure to some of the harder questions, you're never going to know either. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to lock down and say, I refuse to take another step until I find the answer? You can do that. And you won't take another step. And you can just sink on that ground which is made of mud. Or you can put your feet on a rock. And you can say, God, I know, I know there's storms that come in life. But I trust what I'm standing on. Somehow, although I don't know from which direction, I don't know when the next one's coming. I don't know how it's going to feel. I don't even know why it's going to get here. What I am sure of is what I'm standing on. It's not going anywhere. So I'm just going to keep standing, and I'm going to keep standing. Woo, did you see that? Boy, we made, I don't know, how, how did we make it through that storm? 
I guess this old, guess this old rock's okay. I guess we're going to make it. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'll come. Would you, would you close your eyes and open your heart? I believe with everything inside me, God wants you free. He loves you and He wants you free. And boy, in this series and in 2019, we have seen wonderful moments of freedom. We have seen people come and pray and be touched by God and things that they've drug around for weeks or months or sometimes years have been, have been let go of. And man, the weight that comes off and the freedom that flows and the joy that comes. And today's, today's no different. Today is no different. God is here and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And, and I know today's message has been, you know, intense and sensitive. But can I tell you, God will only touch what hurts you because He loves you. He doesn't want to hurt you more. And He doesn't want to embarrass you. He wants to help you. But you have to take a step. You have to say, God, today I decide I'm going to let this go. So maybe today you don't even know if you have a real relationship with God. Can I tell you, unanswered questions prevent people from coming to a relationship with God all the time. And maybe you're here, I guarantee you there's someone here and you've said, man, maybe you didn't even know what it was till today. But now, now you realize, man, what happened in my childhood or what happened to my mom or dad or whatever, what happened back there? I just can't I just can't become a Christian. I can't give my life to God. I can't until I find out why. Why would God let that happen? And can I tell you today, God has a special invitation for you. He loves you and He wants to show you His love. And you might have to let that question go today in order to start a real relationship with Him. It might be the thing that has kept you from starting a real relationship with Jesus. And with nobody looking around, if that's you today, and you say, would you just pray for me? I, 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 there, is, there are some things I don't know, and I guess they have held me back. But today I want to start, I want to renew a real relationship with God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? You don't have to lift it high, just kind of wave at me so I can see you. And we want to pray for you today. Would you just lift your hand so I could see it? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Now, now you may be here and you say, you know, there's something that's been preventing me from going all in with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you can't explain it. Maybe you don't even know why you've been hesitant or withdrawn or nervous or you trust God and then you peel back. You grow a little bit and you shrink back. And you're caught in a cycle where you go forward a little bit and then back a little. Forward a little bit and then back a little bit. Just maybe what's holding you back is a question that's never been answered. But here's what I want to offer to you today. 
If there's something in your life that you need to let go of, whether it's a question or a sin or a habit or a fear or a relationship or a thought pattern, whatever it is, this morning I want to ask you, what has the Holy Spirit said to you? If He's come to your life and said, there's something that I want you to let go of, would you just, with every eye closed, would you just lift your hand and say, yeah, that, that is me. Man, God's been dealing with me. And would you pray for me? I need, to, I need to take a step today to let this go. Would you just lift your hand? Yeah, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I see it in the back, in the middle. Yeah, somebody else. And God's been doing wonderful works of grace. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to begin to pray. And as I do, if there's something that you need prayer for, something you need to let go of, or if there's something you need from God today, as I begin to pray, I want you to come and let the prayer team pray for you. And let's let the presence of God fill your life and your situation. Would you, would you go ahead and begin to come now? Lord, I thank you today for the grace of Jesus Christ that we fill in this room. I thank you for the love of God that is at work ministering and moving and calling. And even now as we pray, your voice is calling and inviting and, and revealing the love of God. So Lord, as we pray today, may your love fill this place. As the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer, I want you to come right now. I want you to come. Take a step of faith. Say, Lord, today I let go. Lord, I let this thing go. Lord, we surrender to you.
I want you to come. Our prayer team will wait for you for a few minutes. If you need to be dismissed.